Hi, welcome to Conspiracies and Other Rants, a podcast where I talk about conspiracy theories and true crime, and I try to put my own little spins on them. So today we're talking about the Waco Siege and the Branch Davidians, Um, and I'm just going to jump straight into it. Okay, so the Branch Davidians, they're an offshoot of the Seventh-day Adventists, which you might have heard, Um, and it was founded by Victor Houtuf, and he was a little upset with the way uh, the church was, and he didn't really agree, Uh, so he made his own branch um, called the Branch Davidians in the 1930s. And later on after that, a man named uh, Benjamin Roden took over, and he claimed to be sent by God to deliver the message of the fifth angel from the book of Revelations. And uh, you'll find that they take a lot of inspiration from um, the Apocalypse and uh, the book of Revelations in general. And um, later on, after he passed, his wife took over. And after his wife died, his son, George Roden, took over in 1986. George said that he had inherited what uh, he called the divine seal and crown, and his message would be the last in the final days. And uh, so a little bit before that, a man named David Koresh, his real name is Vernon Howell, and he changed his name to David Koresh later on, and we'll figure that out because he's very important in this story. He arrived at the compound, and uh, George and Koresh did not get along at all, but we're gonna get it. We're definitely gonna get into that. And uh, so the Branch Davidians, let's talk about some of their beliefs as well. So the Branch Davidians believe that they were uh, God's chosen people for the last days and that God would send a prophet to guide them. And uh, one of Koresh's beliefs that he brought into the Branch Davidians is um, the seven seals. And the seven seals were said to be the only way to understand God and the Bible in general, and he was the only one who knew what the seven seals were, and he was the one who was supposed to deliver that message. And uh, so he was very, he was a very big part of that. And then uh, those are like the main beliefs of the Branch Davidians. And now we are going to talk about uh, Koresh's takeover. So, because George and David were, they like absolutely hated each other, they decided that the most logical thing to do to decide who should lead the cult was to try to resurrect someone. So, resurrection is a very big belief in a lot of religions, actually, but it was very big among the Branch Davidians. And so, what they decided to do was to dig up the body of a woman named Anna Hughes, and she'd been dead for about 20 years, right? So she's just a skeleton at this point. So they dug her up, and they draped her with the flag of the Star of David over her, and they put her on an altar. And what they proceeded to do was to scream scripture at her for days. Like, they were just yelling scripture at a corpse for days. And when that didn't work, they decided, oh... So the next thing we need to do is to have a gunfight. So they went out into the land at the compound, and they shot at each other. And neither of them died, but uh, David Koresh ended up getting charged with attempted murder. 
But later on, uh, for lack of evidence and stuff, like, the charges were completely dropped and he got off, like, scot-free. Which you'll find it seems to be a little bit of, like, a theme with David Koresh. But he, after that, began to lead the Branch Davidians. And David Koresh brought some of his own, like, very specific, and you could say, like, kind of strange beliefs. Uh, so he said he was the Lamb of Revelation 6, which I'm not quite read up on the book of Revelation, so I cannot clarify any of that for you. Uh, and he said that all of the women in the compound belonged to him, which meant literally every woman was his and he could do whatever he wanted. And he thought it was cool to do whatever he wanted. Um, and he believed in a thing called the sinful messiah, which uh, meant that there had to be someone after Jesus uh, that was sinful and a prophet and a messiah themselves because Jesus, according to him, did not have sin. So there had to be a messiah that was sinful and had sin after him. And uh, so another thing Koresh did was that everyone except for him had to be celibate. So he was allowed to have as much sex as he wanted but nobody else was. And uh, no other man was allowed to have a wife because that meant that they were taking the wife from Koresh, which is weird. And he also decided that he had to pump out like a bunch of children, 24 to be exact, which is very strange. So David Koresh was born Vernon Howell on August 17th, 1959. And, uh, he went in between living with his mother and his grandmother during his, like, very early years, which probably had something to do with whatever's going on in his head. And, uh, in his 20s, he committed statutory rape and ended up in the 15-year-old girl getting pregnant. And he also didn't get in huge trouble for that, which is very surprising. As I said, it's like a pattern. <laughs> he just doesn't get in trouble, or at least not as much trouble as he should get in for the things that this man is doing. Now, there were accusations of abuse among the compound, and uh, like that had been going on like since Koresh had been leader. And uh, there were accusations of physical abuse of children, and uh, it was very bad, and um, a CPS investigation was launched, and uh, they came and did what they do, and it was eventually dropped because of a lack of concrete evidence, and uh, along with the physical abuse, sexual abuse was also a very big uh, accusation along there, and um, so along with all of his things with having all of the women in the compound be his because God told him to or whatever's going on in his head. Um, one of the women that was his wife in the uh, crush was told by God to take as a wife was Michelle Jones. And uh, she was underage at the time. A lot of the girls uh, that he regarded as quote-unquote wives 
were underage. So, take that as, as you will. Now we're going to jump into the timeline of the siege, which is very interesting in my opinion. Okay, so on February 28th, 1993, the ATF, which is the Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, they showed up to arrest Koresh on claims of firearm violations. Um, they were saying things like the illegal manufacture of machine guns and destructive devices. They'd been told that they were, like, sawing off shotguns. Um, and, uh, this was heavily publicized, the entire thing. And it was heavily publicized because the ATF completely botched Ruby Rich a year ago. And, uh, it ended up in three people dying. One of them was a child. And, uh, the ATF got a lot of flack for that. So they were thinking, oh, well, let's just go do, uh, arrest and seizure of all of the weapons and stuff that we're hearing about. And let's bring all of the press. Because then when we do something good, we'll get good press. So there were tons of publicity. And... The Davidians knew they were coming before they showed up because of all of the media. So, like, it, it was not a surprise because they were heavily publicizing the whole thing. At 9.45 a.m., 76 ATF agents got out of their trucks and, uh, at the time, gunfire was exchanged. And there is a very big, like, uh, like, it's very like convoluted the ATF say oh we didn't fire first and the Davidians are like we didn't fire first either but I personally believe that the ATF fired first um, because there were things like um, there was this one agent who had been like oh yeah we did fire first because we fired at their dogs and then he retracted the statement later which is very sketchy and they also like um, there were like big pieces of evidence that could have been used to, like, see who fired first. But, very conveniently, those pieces of ed evidence, like, went missing. The, uh, one of the front doors of the compound, uh, which would have shown, like, who fired first, um, the door went missing! And, uh, also, like, a tape with stuff on it also went missing. So, that's... As you know, as soon as something goes missing, they are definitely trying to hide something. They are definitely trying to hide something. And, uh, so, the initial gunfire lasted about two hours, give or take, and, uh, that resulted in four agents, four ACF agents, uh, that were killed. And that is Conway LeBleu, Todd McKeenan, Robert Williams, and Stephen Willis. Uh, 16 others were injured, and an unknown number of Branch Davidians were killed. And it's unknown because of what happens later. So by March 1st, um, because it's becoming such a big thing, uh, Clinton is being given updates, and uh, the FBI is sent in to take over. And uh, Koresh's phone line uh, is cut, except for the phone lines to negotiators. 
And uh, by March 2nd, Koresh uh, makes a one-hour tape of his religious teachings. They were kind of like trying to get him to calm down a little bit. And uh, military-style vehicles are deployed for quote-unquote uh, safety purposes. And uh, by March 3rd, uh, the armed vehicles completely surround the compound, making it hard for people to get in and out, you know. Um, and then by, like, March 4th, negotiators, um, the, like, negotiating is ramping up. And on March 4th specifically, um, it went up to 11 hours. And skipping a little bit farther, uh, by March 8th, the FBI, uh, finally delivers six gallons of milk because, of course, they can't leave, they can't get the food, and there are tons of kids inside of the compound, and people need to eat, obviously, and they were, before, they were refusing to give them food, and, uh, they finally caved and brought some to them. And on March 9th, at 2.15am, the power to the compound is shut off, and this completely pisses off everybody inside of the building. Um, Koresh says he will not negotiate until he gets his power back, and, uh, they argue back and forth, and, um, in the end, Koresh ends up getting his power back. And then, um, a few days later, on March 12th, once again, um, the power is cut off. Um, the FBI commander, Jeffrey Jamar, he says, uh, he wanted those inside the compound to experience the same wet and cold night as the tactical personnel outside. And that was really the start of the, uh, psychological torture that, uh, is put against the Branch Davidians. Um, March 14th, uh, bright lights are constantly turned on, um, to disrupt the Davidian sleep and r raise the pressure. Because if you're not sleeping, you are less likely to, like, fight back, you know? And... So they start playing loud music, right? They start playing Nancy Sinatra's Boots Are Made For Walking on repeat for hours, days, and that's also meant to raise their stress. Another horrible, horrible piece of torture they did was uh, playing sounds of rabbits being tortured and slaughtered. Because that's, that's great. That's great. 10 out of 10. Um, and by March 12th, uh, the tear gas plan is starting to be discussed. And um, it's discussed among the FBI, and it's kind of like taken, and they're, they're talking about the risks of doing it. Because they're, at the time, they were saying, oh, we don't want to, like, completely harm all of the children inside of the compound. Because really the worry is about the children and the elderly inside. And, um, on April 14th, Koresh says he will not surrender until he can write his manuscript of the Seven Seals. And this was really significant because, uh, before this, uh, he was like, I, I can't write these down because God says I'm not supposed to. And, uh, I feel like that was kind of like a bit of a turning point because he's thinking, like, I'm gonna write these down now, which kind of means, like, he's getting sick of what's going on inside, and he's sick of watching everybody suffer. I don't, I don't know, like, if I would say 
He's sick of watching everybody suffer. I don't really know about his mental state. The man seemed to be completely off of his rocker, if you would ask me. But that that's completely unimportant. Now, on April 18th, Clinton gets briefed on the CS gas plan. And he's like, okay. And do it. Oh, I don't know. And uh, now we're going to jump in towards the end, which is April 19th, 1993. So at 5.59 a.m. on April 19th, 1993, the FBI informed the Davidians about the oncoming gas attack. They didn't have much time to, like, react because a minute later, um, the tear gas begins to be put into the compound through nozzles. And, um, at some point throughout all of this, um, tanks begin to ram into the walls, right? And, uh, they had said that the tanks were used to, quote-unquote, make exits for the Branch Davidians to get out. And, um, the effect of ramming the building with tanks means that they are essentially tearing down the building and blocking most exits, right? And on the amount of tear gas that they used, the amount of gas that was used within those few hours was equivalent to the amount that is normally used within 48 hours. So if you think about that, that's insane. Hello. <laughs> and a little later, um, so this, from like, survivor accounts, it's horrible, obviously. Um, adults are wearing gas masks, but they don't fit the children. So the children are suffering for hours with the gas. And um, around noon, a fire is started, and it spreads very quickly. It completely it consumes the entire building, right? And um, within an hour, it was over. And by the end of that hour, the idea of saving the Davidians, it was completely too late. They couldn't have done anything if... At that point, most people were dead. And, um, that's fucking horrible. And now I'm going to talk about the aftermath. Now in the aftermath, um, 75 people died from the fire. They all died in the compound. Now 50 of the dead were adults, and 25 of them were children. And only 35, like, positive identifications of the dead could be made. And, um, 40 of the bodies remain unidentified, and they have since. Uh, which means that they were all, like, buried in, like, paupers' graves. All they have is, like, a stone over where they're buried saying unknown. And, um... It is believed that the gas knocked out a good amount of the Davidians, making it impossible for them to escape. And um, some of, of the people, they had died of like asphyxiation 
or they were killed within like the collapse of the structure, both from the fire or from the falling debris from when the tanks were ramming into the side of the building. <laughs> so, and uh, some of them died from gunshot wounds in a, what um, people call mercy killings, which was giving them mercy from the fire because if you're being shot and you are like it's a lot less painful than burning to death and uh, when they did all of the autopsies um, they were very certain that it was not consistent with a mass suicide because there were so many different causes of death and in cults like um heaven's gate or um jonestown they all died in very similar ways and it was very well planned out the davidians were in there for 51 days so if they were planning out a mass suicide they would have planned it out better and um all of the like on top of all the falling debris from, like, the tanks, um, the holes in the floor also caused death because people would fall through them as they were trying to run for their lives, and they would die. Now, for a long time, the FBI was saying, like, we didn't start the fire. The Davidians started the We have no, like idea what started the fire and uh, finally in 1999 they admitted that they used pyrotechnic tear gas rounds and if you don't know what pyrotechnic is it starts a fire yeah and um well they can start a fire very flammable and in all of the people like in the compound um only nine of the branch davidians survived that fire and i i read a book by one of the survivors i will like put it in the description of this podcast episode because it, it was a really good read um it was sad but it was a good read and um it, it was very nice now there is there has been a huge cover-up both from the atf and from the fbi in waco because the government doesn't like admitting to their own mistakes and they love blaming the victims of their mistakes for the things that they did. So you will find like a, if you like research this yourself, you will find like a lot of people arguing about it. Like, oh, it was a cult, they deserved what was happening to them. But like, think about it. A lot of the people in there were women and children, right? And another thing about cults is you are meant to be brainwashed. Cults are called cults for a reason, right? But also when you are, like, a lot of um, professionals say that, like, the use of the word cults is very bad for people, like, in what we would call cults, right? Because what you need to do is deprogram them from their um, religious extremism. So, like, when the FBI is doing things like uh, labeling them a cult while 
they are in the building, right? That is going to make it worse for the people inside the building. Like, um, a lot of the people inside of the building didn't want to leave. Because being inside there with Koresh was better than being outside there with the FBI. Because they don't know what the FBI is going to do to them. Because as soon as they showed up, there was a gunfight. Which hurt a lot of people inside. And so they are not keen on finding what out what it will happen to them, right? And I feel like that's very understandable. And, um, like, the aftermath of Waco caused a lot of stuff. Like, um, there was, a few years later, I'm working on another episode, um, the Oklahoma City bombing. Um, Timothy McVeigh had said that, like, Waco, that his attack was in retaliation of Waco, which makes no sense because he killed a bunch of children. Or why are you retaliating for the killing of children by killing more children? Doesn't add up. But, like, it caused, like, a huge, like, stir up. But the FBI was very good at covering it up. Right? Or making themselves look a little better than uh, how they looked. Because either way, they are going to look very bad, and it is going to be a very bad stain on their reputation. It is still a very bad stain on uh, the ATF's uh, reputation, and for good reason. They fucked up Ruby Ridge and then fucked up Waco. How do you do that within one year? Make it make sense? But, like, they were very good about that and like when it came to the hearing it was like the congressional hearing um they once again did a very good job at making the did the Davidians look very bad which is bullshit because most of the people inside of there were very innocent I'm not gonna say they were completely innocent but they were very innocent and if you think showing up to a compound uh, to get rid of, like, what you consider legal weapons by uh, completely, like, psychologically torturing people is a, like, okay thing, you are wrong and you are stupid. I'm not even gonna try to, like... <laughs> try to give you any benefit of the doubt for that. You are, you are very dumb. Like, it's insane that people try to blame victims of religious extremism for the way they were brainwashed. Um, a lot of, a lot of the Davidians that, like, um, well, there were only nine Davidians, so like, gone out, but all of them were charged with, like, multiple crimes, and, uh, they got, like, 50 years, and, uh, of course it was, like, lessened later on because they looked like shit for charging them with, uh, crimes, but, like, they still, as soon as they got out from near death, 
punished them. Which is very stupid. They just survived a very traumatic event. And, uh, I, I watched a few documentaries, too. I, I didn't watch the, like, TV series on Waco, just because I've heard, like, conflicting, like, views on it. I'll probably end up watching it, like, later. But I didn't want that to, like, um, at all, like, change my mind as I'm doing research, because... I try my hardest to, like, do my, like, baseline of research and then build my opinion on it. And, uh, which is what I think I did here. I, I, I feel very good about it. But, like, it, I, there's a lot of, like, cultural, like, things around Waco. There's a lot of crazy things about it. But, um... The Davidians still exist today, um, a lot less, of course. Um, there are still, like, small amounts of Davidians who worship on, um, Mount Carmel. Um, they, they built a church next to the, like, original compound. Um, like, the original compound is like a fish pond now. And, uh, they have a, they have a church there. And, uh, from the videos, like, I watched, it, it's beautiful out there. I, I can, make sense to me why they would want to be out there, right? Like, it's, it's beautiful. But, in all of that, there is a, a lot of, um, conflicting opinions. There is my rant. Thank you for listening to this newest episode, and I will catch you next time.